0: If you'll open up your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. And now in chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: We began this journey through the Bible a year ago. Do you remember one of the things I told you to keep in mind as you read? You won't understand everything. There will be places, there will be names that mean absolutely nothing to you. That's okay. Pay attention to what you do understand, not what you don't. Pay attention to what you do understand, not what you don't. There are details, there are things that just won't connect, but there will be plenty that you do understand and that you do connect with and that connects with you. There are things in Paul's letter to the Colossians that readers over the centuries have not always been sure about. Um, The people to whom Paul wrote this letter first, they knew what he was talking about very clearly. They lived in that time. They were in that place. But when Paul warns the Colossians to not be taken captive, to hollow and deceptive philosophies, We don't know the specifics of what he's referring to, but while we don't understand everything that the Christians in that place were struggling with, we do understand from reading this letter that Jesus Christ is the center of everything. Paul's letter to the Colossians gives a grand picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the uh, late biblical scholar, uh, Bruce Metzger, who taught at that esteemed, celebrated, illustrious, highly spiritual institution known as Princeton Theological Seminary, where I went on an athletic scholarship. Um, Seminaries don't give athletic scholarships, if you don't know. This is what he said about the letter to the Colossians. He says, there's no stronger affirmation of the lordship of Christ in the New Testament. That is really saying something, the entire New Testament. I was in my first semester, I was just a freshman at that esteemed, celebrated, illustrious, primal intellectual institution known as San Francisco State University, when someone in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship on that campus invited me to a Bible study that was happening in the dorms. And um, I gathered with uh, a group of about eight of us. We met every week in a small dorm room, and I, and I kept going. And uh, we read together and studied together Colossians, this letter. As we studied it, read it, asked, what does it mean for us and for our lives? That was the first time I think I'd ever really done a formal, in-depth Bible study. And God used that to awaken my faith, and to awaken my awareness to the Lord Jesus Christ as well. In Colossians, Paul just gives an absolutely majestic vision of Christ, of the body of Christ, and of how God has been operating in this world. The Colossians were a great people. They were a great community. Paul begins his letter by praising them for the faith and for the love that they have, and he Uh, He says that they have been bearing fruit. They've been growing. Paul lists, back in Galatians, we read his list of what he calls the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And these things were evident. They were growing in the Christians in Colossae. What does it mean for a church to grow? Paul says, you're growing. In our time, usually when people say, well, the church is growing, they mean numbers. There's more people. But what about spiritual growth, faith growth? Is that church becoming more loving, more joyful, more gentle? Uh, Is spiritual fruit evident? There can be a church that has lots and lots of people, but love, joy, peace, patience can be in short order perhaps. One of my regular prayers for this church, for our congregation, is that we be a fruit-bearing church. That those fruit of God are seen in our life together as a church. But while the Christians in Colossae were growing, they were also struggling. And we don't know all the specifics, but the crisis seems to be that they're going through a crisis of confidence confidence in their relationship with Jesus. They're wondering if Christ is enough and sufficient for their lives. They're young Christians, as most Christians were at this time in the first century, just decades after Jesus. They're a little immature, and that made them vulnerable. It seems, don't know for sure, it seems there were some itinerant preachers or some so-called spiritual leaders who were coming to them and saying they needed more than just Jesus Christ. They were being told that, well, you also should be having mystical visions and experiences um, if, if you're really a Christian. Or they were maybe being told that they had to be more spiritually disciplined. They had to have more rules to govern their lives so they could exist on some kind of higher spiritual plane. And Paul has gotten the wind of this, and he writes to tell them, no, you've been redeemed in Christ. You've been forgiven by Christ. You've been qualified by Christ. And that is all that matters. Earlier in our worship service, we shared in those powerful words from chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, a great affirmation about Christ as the centrality of, Creation over heaven and earth and all powers and how he is the head of the church and the firstborn of the dead. And and if you go back and read that again, notice how many words, and maybe you picked up how many words of what I would say the, the highness or the primacy of Christ were used. For example, Paul says he is the firstborn before, head, beginning, first place. And notice the totality of Christ that Paul mentions. I don't know. I don't think they use this word anymore. Remember when the kids used to say, oh, totally. Remember that? Hey, Kim, you want to go see that movie? Oh, totally. Paul, is Christ the Lord? He says, oh, totally. The phrase, all things. It appears five times, he uses it five times because Christ is over all things and all things find their place in him. Paul says he, meaning the son, he is the image of the invisible God. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Jesus is the complete package. Jesus Christ is not a created being. He existed as God the son with God the Father before the beginning of time. He is superior within creation. All things were created in him, and in him all things hold together. And if someone or some movement claims to be Christian, find out what they believe about Jesus Christ. And is it in line with what the writings of the Bible say who Jesus is? Because in Colossians, Paul tells us Christ is the center of Christian proclamation. That Christ is the center of our maturity, which is to say our completeness, our perfection as Christians. Christ is the center of all wisdom and knowledge. Christ is the center of all religious longing and the reality to which all forms of religion point. Christ is the center of all humanity, unifying people of all races, ethnicities, and backgrounds. As Paul says, Christ is all and Christ is in all. And what the Colossians and all Christians since then need to know if we are to grow as Christians, if we are to increase in wisdom and power and patience and thanksgiving, what we need to know is the supremacy and the centrality of Christ. The more, Paul says, they get to know and know about Jesus Christ, the more they will understand who the true God is and what he's done And who they are as a result and what it means to live in and for him. And so Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity of God lives In bodily form and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. You know, today we live in a cornucopia of religious expression. And it's popular for people to take different elements of different religions and practices and combine them to fit something that fancies them and and, and works for them. Sometimes people create new religions out of different combinations of old ones. Sometimes the people who do this are profound thinkers. Sometimes they're a little crazy. Sometimes the people who do this are very charismatic or intelligent. Sometimes they're just flat-out imposters. Sometimes it's portrayed or passed off as Christian or representing Jesus Christ. Beware of hollow and deceptive philosophies. I'm not a computer expert or a geek, but do you know what an add-on is for a computer? You ever heard that, an add-on? So an add-on is something that is designed to increase the capability of a computer or a a, a base program of a computer. I checked this out with uh, MOPC's IT guy, Jeff Van Brunt, and he confirmed for me that an add-on is something attached to a base computer program so that the program has additional functions. But not all add-ons are good. An add-on can appear to be good, but it can cause compatibility issues. And when that happens, a computer can stop working right. Some of you are thinking about your computer right now, aren't you? You know, we get pop-ups, we get ads on our screen when we're doing the web, and and sometimes they invite us to accept an add-on. And Jeff told me, we have to be discerning about our add-ons. Christianity can have its add-ons. Spiritual disciplines, special worship days like Christmas Eve, Ash Wednesday, having a a daily devotional time, being in a Bible study, going on a silent prayer retreat. Now, certain disciplines, they are part and parcel of my life, maybe of yours. They help us tremendously. In fact, everyone needs certain add-ons, you might say, to help us in our life in Christ. But we need to be discerning about the add-ons. If the add-on becomes the center instead of Christ, it will cause compatibility issues with our faith. Christ redeems. Christ makes us alive. Christ qualifies us, not our add-ons. We can never mistake our efforts for what puts us in relationship with God. You know, some churches... Heavily emphasize charismatic gifts or speaking in tongues. Some churches uh, emphasize the the label, being born again. Some churches emphasize ministry, caring, serving for the poor and justice. All those are fine. But if these become what define us as Christians, then the add-ons are messing with the capability of our faith. Paul says we are complete in Christ because of who he is and what he has done for us. The add-ons are just to make us grow deeper in him. There's a certain way to live in Christ, but beware of rules that replace relationship. Christ is not only the center, but Christ is our stability. As you read through Colossians, notice all the... What I call the stability words, the stability terms that are used to describe our relationship with Christ, how it should look like. Words like established and firm. Rooted, built up. Firm in your faith. Again, stand firm and fully assured. Paul wants to encourage the Christians in in this place to security. And that security comes from knowing who we are in Christ that is why Paul reminds them of their baptism. He says, you've been given fullness in Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith and the power of God who raised him from the dead. You know, our identity as people of Jesus Christ comes in our baptism. That's what tells you who you are. No, that's just not a little religious ritual we do. No, it is the marking of a life that belongs to Christ. It is the signature of God upon our hearts. Baptism is the dying of a person to this world and rising to the life, a new person in Christ, living for a different agenda, Christ's agenda. We're not defined by our career or our vocation. We're not even defined by what we do. We are not defined primarily by our gender or our sexuality, or we are not defined by our ethnicity or our background. We are defined by belonging to Christ. We belong to him as people who are his sons and daughters. That's what tells us who we are. You know, I think the evil one sometimes whispers to us, you really don't belong to Christ. You need to work harder. You ever hear that? Or I think sometimes he whispers to us, uh, you aren't spiritual enough. Or, or, you know, you do these things, you have these thoughts, you don't belong to God. Don't believe any of it. In our baptism, we belong to the crucified and risen Lord. Maybe you don't feel like it. You know, there's a lot of days I don't feel like it. There's a lot of weeks I don't feel like it. It can be really hard, I think, for us to see the lordship of Christ in this world. Jesus is such a quiet Lord. And there are so many noisy powers in our lives. We feel ruled by the world around us and within us. Our personal histories and social histories seem to control us. We are people who feel defined by the things that are done to us. We feel like time and circumstance and chance and biology control us. We feel victimized in this big, noisy world. We don't feel like we're sufficient, or we don't feel like Christ is sufficient, or we don't feel like our faith in the midst of all this noisy world is is adequate. But Colossians says, Christ is both in you, and he is at the right hand of God the Father. And he is all you need. Because he is at the center and because he is Lord, Paul says, stand firm. We are baptized into a certain type of life. We've been raised with Christ. We set our minds and hearts on things where he is above. And Paul says, now your lives are hidden in Christ, hidden with Christ. That's what Paul says. Your lives are hidden with Christ, in God. I had to think about that. An image that was shared with me that's helpful in helping me think about that is of a submarine. Submarines are underneath the surface. They're hidden as they move. Just like our lives are hidden in Christ, maybe underneath the surface. by, You know, We are covered by him. Most people can't tell by walking down the street if we're a Christian or not, right? Or what our relationship to Christ is. You can't just, oh, that person, that person, that person. You don't know when you walk into Smith's or Dan's. You don't have a clue. We kind of live underneath the surface of this noisy world. A submarine goes underneath the surface. But like a submarine uses a periscope to go above the surface to look at what is above to get its direction and its guidance. So, Paul says, and we set our minds and hearts on Christ who is above, seated at the right hand of God to find the direction for our lives. And when we do that, we see what we put to death and what those certain things are and other things come to life in us. We put to death sexual immorality and lust and greed and rage and slander, among other things. What comes to life is the realization that, you know what, we're God's chosen. And that we are to clothe ourselves. That's the way Paul puts it. It's it's like putting clothing on, and we clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love. He says, and that binds everything together. Our hearts are ruled by the peace of Christ. The word of Christ dwells in us, and we we let it have as much room in our lives as we can possibly give it to do its work. And this putting to death and this coming to life, it's a lifelong process, which is why baptism is a one-time event which takes all of our lives to finish. You know, in some churches, maybe you've seen this. They put their baptismal font, whatever it is, by the door of the church. And the reason they do that is, number one, baptism is a sign of, of, of faith in Christ, but also you are entering the church, the people of God, the body of Christ. That's why it's at the doorway. Baptism is like our doorway, the beginning of, of our relationship. And uh, oftentimes in those churches, they always keep water in it. They always keep water in it so that no matter when someone comes in or out, any day, any time of the week, people can put their hand in that water and remember that they are baptized. They can touch their head. They can cross themselves. They can do whatever with it. But it is to remember and help them be clear on their identity. Who are we? Who are you? Now we could put that I thought about putting it by the doorway of our church, but we only have that one little tiny door, and the way we all gather around there and talk to one another, it would just be a problem. We already have traffic problems back there, so I don't want to do that. But But when that water is touched, it reminds us of our identity in Christ. It is not, our identity is not made by add-ons or how well we perform whatever add-ons we might find helpful. Our faith, our wholeness, our completion as Christians is in Christ. He's the center. And in Christ, we have. A love that can never be fathomed. And we have a life that can never die. And a righteousness that can never be tarnished and a peace that can never be disturbed. And a rest that can never be taken away from us and a joy that can never be diminished and a hope. That can never be disappointed. And in Christ we have a glory that can never be crowded, a light that can never be darkened, a purity that can never be defiled, a beauty that can never be marred, a wisdom that can never be baffled, and resources that will never be exhausted. Let's pray. Christ Jesus, bring fruit into this church this morning through something that has been preached here. Help us to honor you as the center of our lives and of all things, to live in you and through you. We again confess you as Lord, and we ask you to live, we ask that we could live under your Lordship. Be the center of our lives. It is in your strong, your majestic, your glorious name that we pray. Amen.